What do you picture when you hear the word investor? Mostly men, on Wall Street, probably a trading floor, waving hand signals, and in front of a lot of computers. But picture this instead. Your morning commute, the person next to you on the subway, the barista at the coffee shop, the woman to your left in the elevator, and the people you sit next to at work. Or if you're a college student, in class. All of those people can be investors. Investing isn't too far out of reach for, well, really anyone. And that's the core concept behind Acorns. Welcome back to The Bid and to our mini-series, Behind the Hype, Demystifying Fintech. Today, we'll talk to one man who set out to show that wealth isn't just for the wealthy. It's for everybody. His name's Noah Kerner, and he's the CEO of Acorns, a micro-investing app that helps customers build better financial futures by setting aside their spare change in an investment account. BlackRock partnered with Acorns in spring of 2018 to help more and more people experience well-being through wealth. Today, we'll learn more about what Acorns is and how it does exactly that. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Later. We hope you enjoy. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to be here, MC. Noah, you've been a DJ. You worked in real estate, sort of. We work reinventing real estate. You've done a lot of different things. And now you're the CEO of an investment company. So how did that happen? And why, given that you don't have a background in investments, did you decide this was an important purpose to pursue? Yeah, so my background started around 11 or 12 in New York City selling baseball cards. And when I was 14, I got turntables and 16 started doing nightclubs and then started working with artists and so on and so forth. And senior year in college started my first company. And that was really born out of passion, you know, curiosity, a desire to create and to build and to put things out into the world. So I started my first company at 21 and then a second at 25 and a third at 27. And, you know, at around 32, I started to feel that creating for the sake of creating was not enough, and that I needed to make impact, positive impact. And that if I took all of the things that I had learned and kind of passion to create and applied that against things that mattered more in the world and made more impact, that that would be really fulfilling for me. Financial wellness, when I look at the problems in the country, is top three. You know, it's one of the leading drivers of suicide. It's one of the leading drivers of domestic violence and abuse. It's something that leads people to feel invisible when you're struggling financially. Going back in time to the dinner table as a kid, so my father was the first corporate social responsibility officer in America, and he had that role at Bankers Trust Company. Hmm. So it sort of came full circle that way. Mm -hmm. My second company was an agency called Noise, and we became the leading product development and marketing agency for the young adult market. So it's funny enough, like on the consumer product side, of things in financial services and into most every category, I have a lot of experience. And people talk to us about the fact that we're a fintech company, but I actually think we're a consumer brand company. Obviously, we make technology, we design product, we do all these things, but at the end of the day, we are a brand. And what does the brand stand for? The beautiful thing about acorns is acorns grow into mighty oaks. And so our brand stands for growth and potential. And that's a really powerful metaphor. And it's what people need to think about when they're going through their financial journey of life. You know, I wake up every day with all the challenges you face of trying to build a company and manage a company and manage a complex business. 
it sort of all falls away when I think about the impact and the customers we serve, which is everyday Americans aspiring for more. The fact that we get stories all the time of people being the first person in their family to save for retirement, that's really fulfilling. And really powerful. So how many users do you have today? We've opened up 4 million accounts in the United States. And how are they distributed across the country? Like census data. So really well distributed. We're everywhere. And really the most exciting part is this is needed, you know, to build a product and a brand for everyday Americans, many of whom are struggling, 70% of whom don't have a $1,000 emergency fund, 66% of whom can't pass a basic financial literacy test, over 60% spend more than they make. That's the space to focus on. And we focus on that customer in every way, from the product perspective, from the pricing perspective. We use subscription pricing. The reason we chose subscription pricing is because it's simple, it's transparent, and it's predictable. And in a category where there have been all kinds of surprise hidden fees, you know, things behind asterisks and pages and pages of information, we felt like subscription pricing is the exact right model. Here's what you pay, here's what you get. For a dollar a month, you get the core investment account, plus all of our financial literacy content, plus our found money rewards program, plus all kinds of other features. For $2 a month, you get all that, plus Acorns Later, which is our automated retirement account. And for $3 a month, you get all of that, plus Acorns Spend, which is the first debit card with a checking account that saves and invests for you. And we grow from there. We're constantly conducting research with investors. And a recent survey we did found that 57% of people around the world haven't begun to invest because they don't believe they have enough money to even start. What about the Acorns brand and the experience gives people hope that they can invest? Beginning with our brand, from tiny acorns, mighty oaks do grow. That's our whole concept. So I think everything about our brand conveys that message, all of our language. When we say what our mission is, to look after the financial best interests of the up and coming, we don't talk about the forgotten or the underbanked or the underserved. We talk about America's up and coming. And literally everything is about up, upward potential. The branch on our product animates in up. On our card, there's a branch going up. The way we talk about our cost, all the language. Our core brand value is to uplift. So is your vision that your users will only have a financial relationship with Acorns? Or do you think that that's not necessarily possible? Our vision is definitely that customers will move their primary bank to Acorns. And our vision is to be a financial wellness system that enables everyday Americans to save and invest every day. So it's a very purpose-driven product experience. It all comes back to helping you save and invest. We're not building Acorn Spend to have a debit card and a checking account. We're building that product because how you spend impacts how you save and invest. We have a whole product line built around helping people earn extra money because the number one reason people don't save enough is because they don't earn enough. And same with all the other areas of personal finance. So we want to be in every area of your financial life, but always coming back to helping you save and invest money for the future. Sometimes the math just doesn't work in terms of what you're earning, what you're spending. If you think about the market today, it's November 2018. The market's now flat to down for mm-hmm. the year. How do you guys think about your brand and delivering on that purpose when you can't control those factors? The way I think about our brand at the most basic level is that spare change adds up over time. And not everybody, but most people can invest spare change. Most people can round up the purchase and have that spare change invested into a portfolio, which is the kind of core of what Acorns is. And as a product, 
One of the things that I love about Acorns is because you're contributing so frequently, you see the balance add up. And even when the markets may have a dip like they have now and you may lose 10% in the market, you're still contributing and you're still growing your savings and investing account. And that's positive reinforcement and sort of conditions that type of behavior that we all want to create out there. And do you guys see that your customers behave any differently, engage with you differently when the market's volatile or down? Yeah, so that's where our financial education comes into play. I mean, we really try to get that message of stick with it out there and stay the course. And I always like to say, if you look back in history, every downturn has ended in an upturn. And the only way you lose money is to pull it out after the market goes down and to really reinforce those messages. And it's not just because, obviously, we're trying to build a business and we want to keep our customers and we want to grow our business. But I and we truly put our customers' best interest first. Like our mission is to look after the financial best interest of the up and coming. And it is in your best interest to stick it out. Like that's just a fact. I've suffered as a result of pulling money out when I panicked. My parents did it twice. They did it after 2001, probably lost 100% of their money as a result of not being there when the market went back up. If we can help people avoid those mistakes, which is why we really focus on that education stuff, focus on uplifting people and giving people some of that confidence you need during those tough moments, because no matter how good of an investor you are, when the market goes down 2,000 points in a week and a half, you get the jitters. Yeah. You also work with Richard Thaler, Mm. who won the Nobel Prize for Economics. How are you guys experimenting with behavioral economics research and perhaps your users to figure out ways you can nudge certain behaviors beyond the brand and the messaging. We formed a program called the Money Lab, and it's chaired by Shlomo Bonarzi, who's a top behavioral economist. There are 25 academic groups that participate in it, and we're basically looking for insights from the top academic minds and behavioral economists in the country to help and find ways to encourage our customers to engage in the right types of behavior. And the best example I have of that is we have a feature called the recurring investment feature. And the way it works is by the day, week, or month, you can set an automatic investment that pulls money from your bank account. So you can do $5 a day or $35 a week or $150 a month. And there's a default amount set. In fact, we tested what happens if you set the default to $5 a day, $35 a week, or $150 a month. What are the participation rates when you set the default to those different levels? And what we found is that there's a four times participation rate when we suggested $5 a day versus $150 a month. It's a smaller amount. The trade-off in your mind is smaller. It's like I can give up a coffee versus giving up your cable bill. So people frame things that way. And what was really interesting is when we looked at the data by socioeconomics and compared people who make $100,000 to people who make $25,000, the participation rate when we suggested $5 a day was the same. And that says, with a simple nudge, you can close the savings gap, potentially. Our goal as a company is 100 million everyday Americans saving and investing every day. And I don't really care if it's just us that makes that happen. I'm thinking about the Money Lab as this platform and program that we can make accessible to everybody to really raise America up overall, together. Acorns just celebrated four years in August. You've accomplished so much, but you're still a pretty young company. What are you guys doing to help drive your future growth? We've built a team of almost 250 people, really talented people internally. We've opened up 4 million accounts, so we're starting to get a group of people who are advocating for us and talking about the virtues of the product. We have a referral program that 
250,000 of our customers have participated in. So people are spreading the message, and that's really helpful. And we have a really talented team across every department from data science to support. One of my favorite parts of Acorns is our support department. And we hire these really brilliant, primarily young people who come in, work in support for a year or two, and then matriculate into the organization. But you spent one or two years listening to the customer, to their excitement, to their pain. I always tell people you got to stay close to the pain because that's where the good stuff comes from. In fact, actually, when we onboard people, you have to go listen in on calls. We just had an experience where there was some stuff that happened at the company and we had a little bit of a backlog in support. And the manager of the support team actually trained the whole company in support. And our whole company came together answering customer emails. And then we had like 42 people across the company do it. I think developing that kind of culture is hugely important. And it's encouraging to me when I see a company like ours, kind of everybody come together around these kinds of things. By the way, from a cultural perspective, and this is a little bit off the question, but we organize around team first, customer second, shareholders third. Team first? Customer second, second, shareholders shareholders third. third. Why not customers first? The philosophy is, well, we think about what a company is, is a group of people all working together toward a common goal. So get the best people, create a culture where they flourish, They're going to work together to create great product, provide great service. Customers will be happy as a result, and then shareholders will be happy. So that's how we're organizing principles. And by the way, from a customer perspective, it's not like we don't prioritize customers, obviously. Or your shareholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I tell our investors, listen, the truth is you want to be third. Right. You do. You want to be third. Yeah. So a ton has changed for Acorns in four years. How have you seen the industry, whether it's financial services or perhaps media, perhaps other startups, react to your success and sort of adopt some of what's been working for you guys? I was talking about this yesterday. I actually feel like the industry and certainly beyond is pretty supportive of us because of what we're trying to do and how mission-oriented we are. Whenever I talk to people when we give talks or people come over and we're like, we're really rooting for you guys. Because really, at the end of the day, we're trying to help close the savings gap and trying to get people to invest for a better future. It's like Who doesn't want that? Yeah. If you don't, you should probably look in the mirror. You and the Acorns team have been pioneers in driving this new approach to investing. It's part of why we've been so excited to partner with you. We share so much of what your mission is all about here at BlackRock. So in that spirit of looking ahead to the future, you are a serial entrepreneur. You have a knack for predicting what might be ahead. I'm going to end with a rapid-fire round and want to know whether you think these things are going to become part of our lives in 5, 10, 30 years or never. Ready? I need to get my crystal ball yeah, exactly. out real quick. Yeah. No one's going to hold you to it. Okay. Uh, we're not betting on it. <laughs> Let's start with human life on Mars. 50 years. Not optimistic, or you just don't think it's that interesting? 50 years. 50 years? Okay. Yeah, that's, a, okay. that's my prediction. It's better than never, I guess. Uh, commonplace use of gene editing? 10 years. Electric vehicles outnumber gasoline-powered vehicles? I'm a little pessimistic about this one because of how powerful— you were talking about in America. Yes. How powerful this infrastructure and lobbying organizations are. I might say 20 years. Wow. And I'm sad to say that, yeah. but I might say 20 years. What about RFID chips in our skin for any number of purposes? Hopefully never. I'm trying to never become a Borg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's Scary thought. <laughs> yeah. And finally, 100 million Americans saving and investing on their phone. Ten years. Thank you so much for joining us Thanks, today, MC. Noah. Appreciate it. It's fun. This material is intended for U.S. distribution only. 
This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of December 2018 and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. Investment involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Copyright 2018, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.